you're standing here with us, you can open your Bible up to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. You know, when uh, you came in, you should have found one of these cards there on the seat where you're seated. And if there are things that we can pray with you or for you about, it'd be our honor to do that. Uh, we don't want you to bear those burdens alone. But if you have a prayer request, you can fill out that side of the, this card and drop it in the box at the kiosk on your way out. Um, and if you're a guest or just want to connect with someone, uh, know more about following Jesus, be added to the weekly email list, join the church, serve in a ministry, any of those things that you would like to get information on, you can check that box and leave us your contact information and we will get in touch with you in the week to come. So, Exodus chapter 20, we've been in this series, Ten Commandments, for the last several weeks and we will, this will be our last week uh, in the Ten Commandments Prior to Easter, we'll do um, a, uh, I lost my train of thought, Palm Sunday, that's what we're looking for, that's the word I'm looking for, Palm Sunday message next week and then Easter, and then we'll jump back into the six horizontal commandments following Easter, uh, but this week we take a look at the fourth commandment, the command of Sabbath. If you've got a Bible, uh, Exodus chapter 20, we're going to pick up reading in verse 1 and stop down in verse 11. In Exodus 20, beginning in verse 1, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. I don't know if you remember... This is a child, those of you who have memories stretching back into your early childhood. But one of my favorite toys as a little kid was a slinky. Remember the slinky, right? I don't know if they still make those today. I don't know if they have them at stores. My kids don't play with them. But um, I remember they had metal slinkies and they had plastic slinkies. And I can remember I always wanted a two-story house. We always lived in a one-story house, but I always wanted a two-story house so I could watch the slinky go down all the way down the stairs, right? Um, and so every place that we went that had any kind of stairs, I'd bust out the slinky and I would try to make it do what the commercial made it do, okay? You remember the little jingle they used to sing on the commercial for slinkies? It's slinky, it's slinky. For fun, it's a wonderful toy. What walks downstairs alone or in pairs and makes a slinkity sound? A spring, a spring, a marvelous thing. Everyone knows it's slinky. It's slinky, it's slinky. For fun, it's a wonderful toy. It's fun for a girl and a boy. All right? Remember, the, they were so fun to play with. But inevitably, one of the things that always happened to every slinky that I ever bought 
or that my parents ever purchased for me is that it always got stretched out. You remember they, the, the metal ones would get stretched out, the plastic ones would get stretched out, and it just wouldn't work right any longer, would it? Right, when you begin to stretch them too thin, they cease to function properly the way they had been designed to function. And listen, I want you to know the same is true about our lives. When our lives get stretched too thin, we cease to function the way that God has designed us to function. Life ceases to work the way that God has designed us to work. We lose our capacity productivity when our lives become misshapen because they've been stretched to their breaking points. And listen, this happens for several reasons within the culture in which we live. We live in a world of professional obligations and personal obligations. And it seems like the further we progress as a society, the higher our professional and personal obligations become. Several years ago in an article uh, written by Anna McNamee, she wrote, writes an article entitled, The Modern Pace of Work is, is the Modern Pace of Work Killing Us? And she talks about a nation being on its edge. Listen to what she, uh, this scenario she describes. She says, not long ago, I visited the office of an aspiring corporate bigwig. I was running late. Have no fear, he assured me when I phoned to make my excuses. I'll be here until at least nine tonight. When I finally arrived, the office was still packed with bustling workers, a somewhat crumpled underling with sweat patches under his arms and bags under his eyes ushered me into a room. Then peering out from behind a stack of open folders and a computer screen was my contact. Don't worry, he said again, cutting my groveling short. I had a lunch meeting, and so I'm just catching up on some of my emails. If you don't reply as soon as you get them, people think you're a slacker. A quick game of I Spy around his inner sanctum told a sorry tale. Several changes of clothing hung on the back of his door, just in case. He had his own coffee machine because the staff canteen closes at 5.30. And a miniature basketball hoop because he can't always make it to the gym, as if Nerf basketball is a substitute for the gym. Right? Perhaps the most poignant of all was a collection of children's books in one drawer. He said, my wife likes it if I can read the kids a story on the phone a couple of times a week just so they don't forget who I am. Gently probing, uh, general probing revealed a 13-hour workday was par for the course for this prime specimen of management material. The framed photos of a grinning wife and the three adorable children balanced on one corner of the desk, they were no doubt there to remind him of what they looked like. The fact was, he had been working weekends and hadn't really seen them in a while. I know it must seem crazy, he admits, but I work in a very competitive field and it just wouldn't look right if I went home when there was still work to be done and deadlines were looming. There's always either a crisis or something left to do. We live in a world of ever-increasing professional obligations. And I have a feeling that this particular reality is not isolated to New York or LA, but has transcended our nation in every arena, in every field, where the expectation, I have actually had people tell me, the expectation in their particular areas of vocation is that they work 60 to 70 hours a week. That's the norm for them. That's the norm. Right? So we live in a world of ever-increasing professional obligations, but also of ever-increasing personal obligations. I got a phone call yesterday from uh, a, a longtime friend of mine. 
And uh, we were just kind of catching up, and I asked him, it was kind of out of the blue, I asked him how he was doing, and this was the first thing out of his mouth. Oh, you know, just going at 100 miles an hour all the time. He was at a Ninja Warrior birthday party with a bunch of five-year-olds, right? He was like, we're just constantly running at breakneck speed. In fact, whenever you find, meet someone or whenever you reconnect with someone and you shake their hand and you ask them how they're doing, the most frequent, repeated right, uh, indication of how someone's doing is, well, we're just so busy right now. As if right now is the exception and the norm is there are times when I'm not busy, but it's always right now, right? I'm so busy. I'm so busy. We're busy with all kinds of professional and personal obligations going at breakneck speeds 24-7 because not only outside of our professional obligations, there's laundry to be done, there's meals to be cooked, there's yard work, right? There's dishes, dusting, vacuuming, sweeping, mopping, and grocery shopping, and then dropping, right? Out of weariness. There's birthday parties, baby showers, kids activities, sports leagues. There's all kinds of things vying for our attention and our time in our personal lives, just as in our professional lives. Right? We live in a world of ever-increasing personal and professional obligations. And we're so busy. And yet in the very order of creation and in the Ten Commandments, God Choose an antidote to the busyness and weariness of our life, and it's called Sabbath. It's called Sabbath, right? If the slinky is supposed to be able to fall down the stairs gently, right, and not be all twisted and contorted, right, our lives are supposed to do the same. And the only antidote for the being the stretched thinness and weariness and busyness of life is God's prescription of Sabbath. So this morning, as we take a look at the fourth commandment, what I want us to see is just very simply these three things. What is it? How do we practice it? And to what does it point? So first of all, what is Sabbath? Listen, Sabbath is regularly scheduled maintenance for your soul. It's regularly scheduled maintenance for your soul. Most of us got here this morning by walking out of the doors of our homes and getting into a vehicle and either pushing a button or turning a key. I don't know which one you got, but you got here in some form of vehicle that has an internal combustion engine in it, okay? And listen, there is regularly scheduled maintenance that must be performed on that engine if it's going to run efficiently and smoothly, right? So if you, if, if, like, like an oil change, like, no-brainer, right? you got to go to the, the dealership, the mechanic, Walmart, wherever it is that you're going to get your oil changed, and they've got to flush out the old oil and replace it with new oil that has a, a, a level of viscosity to it to continue to lubricate the internal parts of that engine, the pistons and the valves. It's got to continue to lubricate, or else what happens is that oil gets old and dirty. It becomes contaminated. It's filled with debris that causes... It causes premature wear, and if you never change your oil, right, it might run for a while, but eventually it's going to have no long, it'll lose all of its lubricating capacity, all of its viscosity, and what will happen is heat will begin to build up in that engine, those parts will wear and warp, and eventually it may seize on you because of the heat that's produced by that internal combustion engine. See, if you never change your oil, eventually it's going to lead to all kinds of problems and your car will break down on you. And the same 
true, if you never take care of the regular maintenance of your soul, your life will begin to break down on you. Right? Because without regularly scheduled maintenance for your soul, what happens is things that should just frustrate you send you over the edge. You ever been there before? Right? Things that just should be a, 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 a little bit frustrating when things don't go your way, right? They send you on a tirade or a tantrum and everyone else around you suffers because you melt down because you have not taken regularly scheduled maintenance of your soul. And God establishes some regularly scheduled maintenance for us when He institutes the Sabbath. When He institutes the Sabbath. Listen, the Sabbath was instituted at the time of creation. It precedes the law even here in Exodus chapter 20 because even uh, Moses points back, God points back to the, the, the six days in which He created the world and then the one day in which He stepped back, declared everything to be good and He rested from all of His work. Right, and so the Sabbath was a creation institution by God Himself. And in verse 11, we're told that God blessed the Sabbath, that He blessed it. Whenever you see that word that God blesses something in the Old Testament, it frequently refers to this reality or this fact that God fills whatever it is that He's blessed with the capacity to enrich our lives if we would embrace it. It will enrich us. It will be for our good if we will embrace it, if we will enjoy it. Listen, if you see the word blessed shows up again in Genesis chapter 12, whenever God calls Abraham, he comes to find Abraham in the land of Ur, the Chaldeans. He says, Abraham, listen, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation so that you and your offspring might be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. So God blesses Abraham, and through the blessing of Abraham in Abraham's life, he fills Abraham and his offspring with the capacity to enrich the lives of all the peoples of the earth. See, when God blesses something, he fills it. He loads it full of this capacity to enrich and bless our lives if we would embrace what, in, what he has filled. All right? If we stiff arm it, we, we, we eventually end up in a place of suffering. But if we embrace it, it will enrich us. See, Sabbath, in part, is our acknowledgement that God has the right to order our days. He has the right to order our schedules. Right? He has the right to determine how we leverage and utilize our time. That, that Sabbath is that acknowledgement, it's that recognition that He orders our days. It's also an act of faith that God is able to fulfill His purposes without our help. Do you know that? Do we recognize that? Do we live in that reality that God is infinite, that we are finite, that He is unlimited, that we are limited? There are things that He only He can do and things that we just cannot do. That we have limited reserves of physical and emotional capacity and strength. Right? That God is unlimited when it comes to those. And that even whenever we step back from our incessant productivity of always wanting to be productive and performing and achieving and accomplishing, when we step back from that in order to rest and recalibrate our hearts, that God is able to continue to fulfill His purposes even without us. That He is necessary, we're supplemental that He can continue without us. 
Right? Sabbath is a reminder that we are limited, frail, and finite. We're not the energizer bunny who can just keep banging the drum and just keep going and going and going and going and going. And when we do, when we do, we find ourselves eventually in a position of weariness and brokenness like that slinky that's been stretched too far. See, Sabbath is also a recognition that my identity is not tied to my productivity. And this is a, listen, I'm, I'm looking in the mirror and preaching to myself right now. Okay? I just want to, my identity is not tied to my productivity. For the longest time in my life, that brought so much pain, so much heartache, so much distress for me. That whenever I looked at what my hands were producing, for me it was a reflection upon who I was. I had a hard time distinguishing between my identity in Christ and my productivity in my vocation or in my professional or personal life. Now listen, that is not an excuse for sloth or laziness, but if you, if, if the, what Sabbath does for you is it begins to heal your heart and pry away this false notion that I'm, my, my identity, who I am, is either, either, either affirmed or adversely affected by my productivity and allows us to rest solely in who God is, who we are made in His image, what He's done for us in Christ to redeem and rescue us, and what He's making us into for His glory for all of eternity. That's what Sabbath does. It's regularly scheduled maintenance for your soul. It pries away that false connection between identity and productivity. It recognizes that God's able to accomplish His work and fulfill His purposes without us. It acknowledges He has the right to order our days. And it will bless you. It will enrich your life if you will embrace that rhythmic rest, that regularly scheduled maintenance for your soul. And when you fail to do so, listen church, when I fail to do so, when we fail to do so, what happens is we begin to revert order back into chaos in our lives. Let's go back to creation. As God roots the Sabbath in His command, uh, that command in His action in creation. In Genesis 1 and 2, paint a picture of God doing what? He's creating, isn't He? He's distinguishing the day from the night. He's distinguishing the land from the sea. He's distinguishing, right, uh, the, 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 the fish and the birds, right? The things that fly in the air and the things that live, live in the sea. He's creating man to be his vice regents to rule in his place over all of creation. But what he's doing largely, God is taking things that were in existence and he's beginning to order them in such a way that he pr- creates boundaries for human flourishing. He says, here's order and you will flourish within this order. That's why you and I can't live underwater, Right? Because there's an order to creation. Right? We live on the land. We also don't live in the air. Okay? Floating. Right? But there's an order to creation. God takes the, 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 the elements of creation and begins to order them in such a way that human life can flourish. And in Genesis 2, 1-3, this is what you read. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. So God orders all of creation, then he steps back and he rests 
It's a part of the order that he's, the rhythm that he's established in the creation. Six on, one off. Six on, one off. Six on, one off. And God demonstrates by his own action that this rhythm is a part of the order that he's established for our lives. And when we lose that rhythm, listen church, our lives go from order to chaos. From order to chaos. Listen, I am not a musician, nor have I recently stayed at a Holiday Inn Express, okay? But the one thing that I know about music is that the, the, as the beat falls, there must also be rests between the notes and rests between the beats in order for that to be pleasing. Otherwise, it's just chaos, right? If it's all just banging, okay, like a seven-year-old trying to learn how to play the drums, if it's all just banging, then there's no beauty to it. But whenever there is beat and then rest and then beat and then rest and then beat and then rest, that's rhythm that's taking place. Beat and then rest. There's a beauty to that. There's an order to that. And it's pleasing to the ear. And the same thing is true in your life. If it's nothing but beating constantly, it will take what is supposed to be a beautiful rhythm and it will send it cascading back into chaos because there will be no order in your life. God bless the Sabbath and indeed it will enrich you if you embrace it. So how do we do that? How do we practice Sabbath? This regularly scheduled maintenance for our souls in which we're stepping back from our work, stepping back from our labor, stepping back from our identity being tied to our productivity, from us thinking that God cannot accomplish what He's called us to apart from us. Right? All those things we just talked about. How do we begin to engage in that? Of rest and reflection and recalibration of directing our hearts toward God. Let me see the first thing is this. Is that we must Repent. We must repent, and largely from our own self-importance. We must repent. See, rather than looking at the command and saying, you know what, the fourth commandment, Sabbath, keep it holy, set it apart, I really should give this whole Sabbath thing a try, right? I really should try to implement this into my life. That's how many of us look at the Sabbath commandment. Like, I should just give it a shot, right? But listen, Rather than saying, I should give it a shot or give it a try, we need to look at the commandment and confess to God how we violated it and turn from our attempts to build our identity on our productivity and turn to a rhythm of rest in our lives. Because listen, you and I would not look at any of the other commandments and say, you know what, I should give that whole not murdering somebody thing a try. Right? I should give that whole prohibition to theft a try. Right? We wouldn't look at any of the other commands and say, I should just implement that into my life. That's some good wisdom right there. No, we would look at that and we'd say, if I've been guilty of murder or as Jesus says, of hating and harboring bitterness toward my brother and my, I need to repent of that, right? If I've been guilty of theft and taking things that are not mine, I need to repent of that. If I have placed a God, little g God, before the big G God, the Lord, capital Lord, all caps in my life, I need to repent of that. And the same is true here. So some of us, the first step toward practicing Sabbath and finding that rhythm that God's has ordered creation with and bringing our lives into order is to repent. Now listen, I don't know about you, but I will just go ahead and acknowledge my wife would agree with a hearty amen that I am not a good Sabbath keeper. 
okay? I'm not a good Sabbath keeper. I don't know how to rest well. Anybody else struggle with that? Like, this is just honest, open confession time. I think most of us, many of us, particularly those of us wired with a particular kind of personality, we really struggle with how to step back and rest. And for us, it starts with repentance. But second, second movement toward practicing, we've got to set Sabbath up in our lives. We've got to set it up. Listen, notice the text says this in verse 9. It says, six days you shall labor and do all of your work. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. The seventh, you should step back from your labor and step back from your work and to rest. And listen, just like anything else in our life that tends to go well whenever we plan it, but does not take place when we don't, Sabbath is one of those things one that God has prescribed for us and whenever we plan for it whenever we set it up by working hard the other six days out of the week then we can rest on the Sabbath right listen to the degree of enrichment and blessing that it will bring to your life that Sabbath will bring to your life is proportionate to how well you work the other six days of the week okay if you, work, if you labor well, if you work hard the other six days, whether it's, you know, I give five days, Monday through Friday to my vocation, and then a sixth day around the house doing laundry, cooking meals, yard work, all that kind of stuff, right? And so on the seventh day, I'm able to rest and step back from all of my labors. The degree to which you are working well, that you are working hard the other six days, if you're doing that, then Sabbath to you will be like a cool drink of water from a mountain stream after a long hike. But if you're not, there's sloth and laziness in your life. And the other six days, you just kind of let things slide. And then like, all of a sudden, you've got to play catch-up all day on your Sabbath that's scheduled. Right? Then you're going to miss it. Or if you just neglect things then as well, then it'll be like drinking tepid bath water because you've given in to laziness the other six days. It won't be really refreshing because it's not much different than the other six days of your life. All right, so you've got to set it up. See, do everything that you can to rest and recalibrate on the Sabbath. Listen, there's going to be some things that you still must do, right? Those of you who have little children, when your baby starts to cry, listen, you can't just look at it and say, Mommy's on a break, right? <laughs> Mommy's on Sabbath. Sorry, I'll feed you tomorrow. When the sun goes down, then you can eat. Right? That's, there's still some things you have to take care of. You still have to change the diapers, right? There's still some things that have to be done. But listen, what can you do the other six days to set yourself up to really rest and recalibrate your heart on the seventh? Right? Can you take care of laundry the other six days so that Sunday afternoon you're not doing three loads of laundry and folding clothes and stuffing them in drawers? Right? Can you fix kids' lunches for the next day at school on Saturday or on Monday morning so you can step back from some of that labor on Sunday afternoon? Right? Or on the day of your Sabbath? Can, what can you do? Can you do yard work on Saturday, on Friday evening, on Thursday evening so that on the Sabbath there's a chance to rest and recalibrate and you're not thinking, well, I've got to go home now and I've got to get... The, the tractor out, and I've got to cut grass, I've got to weed eat, I've got to edge, I've got to plant flower, I've got to do all these things, trim the hedges, right? What can you do the other six days so that the seventh day you can step back from your vocational, professional, and personal duties? Can you unload the dishwasher on Saturday night, right? Instead of waiting until Sunday morning. 
What are some things that you can do? Can you set it up, right? So that other six days you're laboring, and on the seventh you're able to rest. So you have to set Sabbath up. You have to plan for it, or else it won't happen. And the seventh will be like the other six. Second thing, you've got to set Sabbath apart. Look in verse 8 of the text. They were told to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. To keep it holy literally means this, to set it apart. To set it apart. It's a day to be set apart for rest and recalibration of our hearts. Right? For our hearts to be directed Godward. So listen, what better day is there? You may be thinking, well, I, does Sabbath have to be on, this, on a Sunday? No, it doesn't have to be on a Sunday. Right? But what better day is there than the Lord's Day to recalibrate your heart and be Godward in your orientation and in your focus? Listen, because the world, the other six days is going to be pulling your heart, it's going to be pulling your mind away from God. And what better day to recalibrate your heart towards Him than Sunday, the Lord's Day, whenever you gather with God's people to sing God's praises, to hear from God's Word, to receive communion, to fellowship with one another, share meals, and talk about the goodness of our God. What better day to recalibrate your heart than that one? Right? So remember, set it apart. Don't allow other things to trumpet Okay. For us, sometimes I think the Sabbath is, is or, 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 or the Lord's Day, as we approach that day of rest, reflection, recalibration, for us many times what it ends up being is like the two of spades instead of the ace of spades. Okay? You ever play spades? Ace of spades trumps everything. Okay? Two of spades trumps some things, but not everything. Now listen, I'm not saying that we need to go back to the Pharisees where you know, like if you go into, into, into uh, the gospel accounts and you read about Jesus, particularly in Mark chapter 3, as he and his disciples are walking through the fields and they're walking along, it's on the Sabbath, and they're plucking grain, right, but to, to, to eat. And the Pharisees get all uptight about the fact that Jesus' disciples are doing work on the Sabbath to feed themselves. And Jesus says, listen, here's the deal. First of all, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who created it. Second of all, he said, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And what he means by that is this, that the Sabbath is not some master that you must submit and yield your life to, to let it run tyrannically in your life, right? That's what the Pharisees had done. They'd set up all kinds of, like, not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. Let's define what work is, right? You can't tie a knot. You can't set a broken limb, right? That was one of the things on the Sabbath. Like, if you had a dislocation or a broken limb, right, sorry, right? Just live with it until the sun goes down. Then we can set it. Then we can repair it. Then we can get you all bandaged up. Right? You couldn't tie a knot on the Sabbath. You couldn't walk so many steps from your home on the Sabbath. You couldn't go draw water on the Sabbath. You couldn't do all these kinds of things on the Sabbath. And so what we're not saying is that we fall prey to the mistake of the Pharisees by beginning to draw rigid boundaries on what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. But it should be a day, as God prescribes it, that is set apart and that it should trump many, many, if not most, of the other things in your life. There is a rhythmic pattern to it. Right? That you're with God's people, in God's Word, 
singing God's praises, reordering your heart toward God, and then in the afternoon, following that, listen, go home, rest, relax. Don't go home and prepare a big family meal for everyone who's coming over to our house, right? But go home and relax, relax and rest. Take a nap, take a walk. Spend time reflecting. That means you have to be in the Bible all day long, just like reading from sunup to sundown. That's not what we're saying, right? Do some things that bring you delight, right? Go to the pond, go to the lake, right? Enjoy that. But listen, there are many people who have set apart a day for a day off without setting apart a day for a day that is Godward in its orientation. So make it holy, he says. Don't let all, everything in your life come above it and trumpet. Right? Set aside your duties for what delights you. Don't allow things to supersede it. Make it the norm in your life. Right? And then third, third, let me, let me just encourage you, sync Sabbath up. Okay? Sync Sabbath up. Listen, whenever you buy a new piece of technology, okay, um, you buy a smartwatch, you buy a Google Home, you buy a new phone, get a new soundbar, right, whatever it is, all these things that are now wirelessly connected, right? These pieces of technology, and they work fine on their own, but they can do so much more when they're synced up to each other, can't they? They can do so much more when they're synced to each other. And, and I want you to see something in the text. Notice that all the people within the home or even the gates of the city should observe Sabbath should be synced up for them, right? On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gate. Like even the cows a day off, okay? Even the chickens aren't expected to lay on the Sabbath, all right? Even the livestock gets a day off. The, so, the traveling, the, the resident aliens, they are to re- re- observe this as well and step back to rest, reflect, and recalibrate, right? Your son, your family, those within your household, should have opportunity to recalibrate and rest. Everything is synced up together on Sabbath. And so let me encourage you, sync Sabbath up as a family. As a family. Because listen, if your Sabbath is on Friday and my Sabbath is on Sunday or on Saturday, right, then you're going to have this time of reflection and rest and recalibration and I'll have my time of rest and reflection and recalibration while you're going to be you're working and I'll be, like, try to do your best. Listen, I know there are things that would prevent this based on the modern flow, ebb and flow of life and family schedules. But listen, for some of us, we may just need to say, you know what? Discipleship, me following Jesus looks like me submitting to God's good plan for my life looks like us syncing up our schedules as best as we can so that we can observe it together as a family. And listen, as you sync it up as a family, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you with something. I heard somebody say this this week. Listen, as you think about syncing up your Sabbath, those of you particularly with young kids in the home, what if you would consider making it a tech-free day? Making Sabbath a tech-free, a device-free day, right? So there's not video games, there's not phones, Right? There's not iPads, there's not computers, that we're putting the screens aside. 
We're setting devices aside to give our directed attention to God and to hear from Him and to be present with each other, right? To create margin for relationships in our life that are enriching that God has given to us in our families. That we create margin for that. The other six days of the week, we've got text all over the pages, but on that seventh day, there's a margin, there's space for us to engage eye to eye with those that God has put us in fellowship with most closely in our families so that we're not staring at a device, we're not staring at a screen. So sync it up as a family and all the more reason, listen, to sync it up with your church body. Right? There's another reason to, make, to aim to make the Lord's Day your Sabbath. Because listen, there is something to be said for gathering with the people of God and singing the praises of God and hearing together, being gathered under His Word together. I'm not saying, well, I call it the podcast on Wednesday night, right? There's something about being present with God's people and under His Word week after week after week after week as it's taught and proclaimed and sung through song, and praying corporately together. Right? It was such a sweet moment whenever we gathered around one of our elders a couple of weeks ago, Steve Welch, and we just laid hands on him, and we interceded on his behalf, and prayed for God to bring healing in his life. But for those who were not here that Sunday, they weren't a part of that. They missed it. There's a beauty to that. So sync it up with your family and sync it up with your church body. Right? So you've got to set it apart, you've got to set it up, and you've got to sync it up. And a lot of that begins, as we said before, with repentance. Saying, God, I have not given attention to this command. In fact, I violated it. And I want to turn from that. I want to trust what you say that is for your glory and for my good. So that's how we begin to practice it. All right. Now to what does it point? Let me close with this. What does the Sabbath point us toward? Listen, it points us not only to a seventh day rest and rhythm in our lives, but listen, it points us toward an eternal rest that God has afforded to those who are in Christ. In fact, the author of Hebrews talks about this. In Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, as he's been talking about Jesus as our high priest, what Jesus has accomplished for us, and the offering of his life, that he was the one who presented the sacrifice, and he was the sacrifice that was presented. And then he begins to transition and talking about this rest that God has afforded to those who by faith would embrace him. And listen to what he says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. See, the author of Hebrews says there's a rest that remains for God's people because they're no longer trying to relate to God on the basis of what they can do for him, but they're now relating to God on the basis of what he has done for them. That's a monumental shift. I'm not relating to God on the basis of what I can do for Him, but I'm relating to, the basis of, uh, 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 relating to God on the basis of what He has done for me. 
And whenever I enter his rest, I rest from all my labors, from all my attempts to build my religious resume, to present it to God, to find myself acceptable in his sight. And I rest from all of that effort because he has accomplished everything that I need to be received into his presence through his son. And by faith, I believe that he is sufficient. Not that I am. Not that I am. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, learn from me. Take my yoke. And the yoke in his day was the, the implement they placed upon an oxen in order to plow a field, but it also came to be symbolic of a, a rabbi's interpretation of the law, of how he understood what God had commanded. And Jesus says, listen, all the interpretations you're receiving from all the other rabbis are a heavy burden that's being laid upon you. Jesus says, come to me and take my yoke and it will be uh, relieve the burden that you have because you no longer have to relate to God on the basis of what you can accomplish, but now you can relate to God on the basis of what I'm going to accomplish on your behalf. I wonder if you've done that this morning. See, because Sabbath is not only about a rigid observance of a day of rest, but it's also about having a heart that's filled with a disposition of rest in His presence. See, you may take a day off and you may come to church and you may focus your orientation God, but there's not a disposition in your heart of resting in God because you still feel like you've got to pad your religious resume. I've got to clean my life up. I've got to make myself acceptable without ever having rested in what God has done in Christ for you to bring you into his presence free from charge, free from guilt, free from shame, free from blemish, free from spot or stain because of Jesus' perfect record applied to you. And so your heart is at rest in his presence. Is that you this morning? If it's not, if it's not, I would love to share with you how it can be. Following our service, I'll be at the back door and I would love to visit with you about that. Pray with you about what it looks like to cross the line of faith and to rest in what Jesus has accomplished for you. If you have and if you have done that, and there needs to be some repentance in your life this morning, as the band comes and leads us in song here in a moment, I want to encourage you. Acknowledge that before God. Confess your, your lack of attention given to Him and to the order of creation that He's established, that rhythm in your life, that it has not been a song, but it's been noise and chaos. And then begin to think about what it looks like for your family to sync that up, to set it up, and to set it apart. So that you might enjoy the beauty and order that God's designed you for. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, We thank you 
that you've provided for us in your son, the Lord Jesus, an eternal rest from all of our work, from all of our labor. And that while we wait for that to come one day, we still, we still fight sin here, we still resist temptation here, we still struggle with the flesh here, but while we wait for that eternal rest, we're able to rest securely in what you've done for us through your Son, through his death in our place, through his resurrection from the grave. And that if we would but believe on him, center our lives upon him, trust fully in him, rest the weight of our identity upon him, that we could know that rest today. And Father, for those of us who have, I pray that we would not look at the Sabbath and think that it's something that we need to give a try, but that it would be something that we repent from failing to embrace, and that as we embrace it, it would enrich us. That we would set it apart. That we would sync it up as families and as a church body. Direct our attention to you together. that we would not be content with merely having a Sabbath unto our leisure, but that we would enjoy a Sabbath unto the Lord. Where our hearts are directed to you and we enjoy your good gifts, where we enjoy relationships with each other, we're able to reflect and rest and recalibrate and even recreate together. I pray that we would see the enriching effects of that in our lives and in our families. Not only this day, but years to come as perhaps we draw a line in the sand this morning. So Father, where repentance is needed, I pray that you would give us the grace to do so. And we pray it in Jesus' name.